listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. This Kentucky fan, I told you all, I would be a Tennessee fan for one week. Uh, Accomplished the mission, and that week is over. So, um, (laughs) so, anyways. In 1929, James J. Braddock, he's an Irish-American boxer from New Jersey. He lost his match against the light heavyweight champion Tommy Loughran in a 15-round title fight in New York City. James, a prized and wealthy fighter in the 20s, would soon he'd, he'd spiral out of control after he shattered his right hand in the fight. Between a failing boxing career, a broken hand, and the Great Depression, James, he found himself working down at the docks and between um, begging for help in the ministry of the Catholic worker movement, James and his family just barely survived. What was once this this man of legacy was now a man scrapping to live when all hope of glory days were lost. James was offered a prized fight in 1934 against a man nicknamed the Ozark Cyclone. Would have been just another stepping stone uh, fight for the guy. James surprised the boxing world uh, by knocking him out. And one by one, James career began to reshape one fight after another fight, and he would soon acquire the nickname, the Cinderella Man. On June 13, 1935, James was picked uh, to fight uh, Max Baer in the Madison Square Garden. Uh, Max was a a nice guy, uh, but a ferocious fighter who I would say more than likely caused the death of one man uh, in the ring. James was only chosen as an easy target and easy payday. Everyone would tune in to watch Max ruin the Cinderella Man. So with almost 30,000 in attendance and Max a 10-to-1 favorite in the match, James would once again shock the world and become the world heavyweight champion. And so with all the cards stacked against him, James reversed his fortune, and from the glory of of boxing to the labor at the docks, and from the labor at the docks back to the glory of boxing, James would later return all of the welfare money that he took during his time in need, continue to make generous donations to ministries that helped those that were hurting. It's the story of the great reversal of the Cinderella Man. And I said we all love a good reversal story. We all love the story of an underdog winning. It gives us hope that like, maybe we can do the same. It gives us hope that like, in our own story, we might be able to fight our way back to victory. We might prove people wrong. We might become the man or the woman that we always wanted to be. And I'd say while there's certainly something healthy, real and healthy about that mentality, the very serious question is, What if you can't? Sometimes there are things that are just not as simple as a story from history 
or a favorite movie. Sometimes our suffering and our pain and our situation is just so deeply wounded that there is nothing you can do to reverse it. Sometimes there is no fighting back to victory. What do we do then? Where should we turn then? See, the story of 1 Samuel, the story of Israel, the story of the Bible, the story of every child of God is a story of the great reversal. Where God is the hero of the story, where God reverses what is impossible for man, and where God claims the victory. So I want to share with you this morning a song from a lady named Hannah from a little town called Rama that sings of this great reversal will be in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 11, if you have your Bible. Um, if you have a digital Bible, we'll be reading out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there in the bulletin, and then any supplemental passages will be on the screen. But before we study together, let's pray together. Father, we... We humbly come before you, um, knowing that uh, in our own lives and maybe even in the lives of those we love, God, there, there are things that are so wounded, it, uh, there, there's, it feels like there's no coming back from it. Things that have happened to us or even things that we've done to ourselves. So God, we are celebrate this morning that, that the story's not over. And we celebrate this morning uh, the prayer and the song of Hannah and what it might teach us uh, about you. Uh, so God, help us to study well. Uh, God, give us understanding through the Spirit, and we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Hannah has cried and prayed, and she's vowed to the Lord for a baby boy, and there's nothing that could reverse her barrenness and her own power. There's, she, she just longed for a child for her in Alcana. She longed to hold, this, hold and nurse a child of her, her own. She longed to participate in the covenant that was given to Abraham, and when all hope was lost, God reversed what seemed impossible because when Hannah and Elkanah returned home, Hannah became pregnant with the baby boy that she would later name Samuel. The child she had asked for had been given to her. And yet a vow was already made. And it was a Nazarite vow, a vow that Samuel would be given in service to the Lord forever. And so simply once the child was weaned, he would be taken to Shiloh, the place of worship, and he would be raised by the priest named Eli. And so what we have in the text this morning, I would say, is one of the most strange and powerful prayers and songs of Samuel's mother, Hannah. Strange in that I, I, it feels out of place after we just have the birth of Samuel. Powerful in that it celebrates the rich and the deep things of the Lord. And so Hannah, just in the midst of family and friends, cries out to the Lord in 1 Samuel 2, starting in verse 1. We'll read together. Verse 1 said, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, and my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides the enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. 
for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. And let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And the bows of the mighty are broken, and the feeble bind on strength, and those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. And those who were hungry have ceased to be hungry. The barren has borne seven, but she has many children as forlorn. The, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. And he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the, the wicked shall be cut off in darkness for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, and against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah, he went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. The question this morning from our text is, how is the Lord able to reverse your brokenness? How is the Lord able to reverse your brokenness? Like we know he does. We've, we've already seen it in the story of Hannah, but how, like how is the Lord able to do such a thing? How is the Lord able to reverse your brokenness? Specifically, a kind of brokenness you cannot fight your way back from. And I want to give us three things from Hannah's prayer that reveal the nature of God. And really three words you probably have heard of in and around church life, but three words that will help us uh, see and worship and exalt the name of the Lord. How is the Lord able to reverse your brokenness? Three things. The first one is this, because the Lord is omniscient. He's omniscient. Right away in verse 1 of the text, we see how God has radically moved Hannah's heart from a posture of sadness to a posture of rejoicing. So two weeks ago, we see Hannah's husband ask her the question, Hannah, why is your heart so sad? Well, the answer, obviously, is her barrenness. It's obviously that her rival is mocking her. It's obviously she's broken. That's why her heart is sad. She deeply desired something in her life like she knew she might, she might never have. And then the Lord stepped in. And then the Lord responded to prayer. And then the Lord pressed play on the birth of Samuel, the future priest of God's people that they most desperately needed. So when we get to chapter 2, verse 1, we see the reversal of posture where a sad heart is now a heart that sings, my heart exalts in the Lord, and my horn or my strength is in the Lord. My mouth derides the enemy. I rejoice in your salvation. Why? Because God did the impossible in her life. And if I can be real direct this morning, God is able to do the impossible in your life. 
He can change your situation. He can change your days of sorrow into days of rejoicing. He can change failing marriages into thriving marriages. He can change drug addicts to recovering addicts. He can change broken homes uh, to homes of peace and restoration. He can change cold and dead and rotten hearts into hearts that sing glory to his name. So we serve a God that does what seems impossible in the eyes of men. How is he able to do these things? Well, verses 2 through 3 show us because Hannah, she, she stops talking exclusively about herself and starts talking exclusively about God. And Hannah describes the kind of God that we have come to worship today. This God is a holy God. Far more than just being perfect. He is perfectly separated from all things. He is holy. There is no other God besides this God. There is no rock or support or place to stand like our God. He is unmovable by will or by nature or by force. It says this in Isaiah 57, verse 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lonely and to revive the heart of the contrite see there is no one like our god he is he's separated above all things and yet he's also able to be with those that are contrite and lowly in spirit he's with hannah and her sorrow for sure but he's also even with those who are in sorrow over their own sin and shame he revives the heart and in the paraphrase of verse 3 today, if all of that is true, stop talking like proud men and women. Stop running your mouth with, with exhausting arrogance. You, you don't know the future. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't even know what wonderful or tragic things that could take place this afternoon. Don't you realize this, this Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him, actions are weighed. Our Lord is omniscient, simply meaning he's all-knowing. The reason the Lord is able to reverse your brokenness is because he holds all knowledge of your brokenness. He knows what you've gone through. He knows the thoughts that you wrestle with. Late at night, he knows the days and the hours and the seconds that are ahead. See, God, God was not surprised by the barrenness of Hannah. God's not, he's not surprised by your suffering or the things that you struggle with. God, God learns nothing. He already knows. It says this in Isaiah 44, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me, let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let, him, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock, I know not any. And since the Lord is omniscient, only he can decide 
what can and should be reversed in our lives. And I get it. We get, we get very frustrated sometimes. If God is so good, why, why won't he do this? Or why won't he change this? Or why won't he give me this or take this away? Those are, these are very real and serious questions that the children of God wrestle with. But like children, we only see what's right in front of us. And in our limited knowledge, we desire things. And I would say even really good things with a limited knowledge of the larger picture. And my children, they, three kids desperately want to stay up all night and watch TV and play video games and eat candy. And I'd say all of those are, are fun and, for the most part, good things. But what they can't see is if I let them do that, they'll never sleep and they'll get sick. So they think I'm ruining what seems good when really I'm giving them what is best. That's why we don't speak in arrogance before the Lord, who is omniscient. He knows the full story. He preordains the full story. And I'll let you work that one out theologically. He is working all things for good for those that love him. This is Romans 8. Verse 28, and we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so if I can press so gently, according to what we see in the narrative of Hannah, and clearly laid out in Romans 8, the Lord's great preordained plan for his children is their salvation. Not that they are comfortable. God is able to reverse any brokenness because God is a know-it-all in all of the best ways. Simply, he knows what's best because he knows everything. How is the Lord able to reverse your brokenness? Let me give you point two. Because the Lord is omnipotent. Because the Lord is omnipotent. Or meaning that the Lord, he's, he's all-powerful. That there is nothing too big or too great for our God. There's no obstacle that he can't break down. There's no kingdom that he can't shatter. And we hear that question all the time if you grew up around church. Like, can God create a rock that's so big that he can't destroy? And I would say, yeah, he can. Yeah. He will create the rock that he cannot destroy, and then he will destroy it. Because he's God. He, he can do whatever he wants. What, like, what a simple, small version of God that we have sadly created in our minds in modern-day Christianity. We want a God that loves us and picks us up when life has beaten us to the ground. And while he is certainly able to do that, let's not forget that God is also capable of beating us to the ground. 
If you want the loving kindness of the Lord this morning, then you better be on board with wanting the omnipotent and terrifying Lord as well. And that's not me trying to scare anyone with religion. That's me repeating the words of sweet Hannah after her baby was born. Listen to her explain the power of the Lord in verses 4 through 10. I'll, I'll share half of it and then share the other half in a moment. Verses, verses 4 through 10. The bows of the mighty are broken. Those who are full are now slaves for bread. Those who have many children are forlorn. Those who are alive, the Lord kills and takes down to Sheol. Those who were exalted, he brings low. Those who are wicked are sent to darkness. Those who defy the Lord will be broken to pieces, and the thunder of the Lord will roar from heaven. So let us not dare assume that worship is safe or casual. Let us not dare assume that the Lord will not ruin us. Let us not dare assume that the Lord has not killed men and women in 2022. The omnipotent Lord of the Old Testament is the same omnipotent Lord of the New Testament. Don't be tricked into thinking God is safe. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Practically, so many of us come to worship the Lord to get something reversed in our life. We want breakthrough, we want blessing, we want purpose. And what we really need, what I need, what you really need is not breakthrough but repentance. We need to be right before the holy God that is able to ruin us. And yet that's not all Hannah prayed. Because the Lord's omnipotence not only destroys those that are strong in their own power, but the Lord in his power, he also lifts up those that are weak. Look at verses 4 through 10 again. He's able to bind the feeble in his strength. He's able to feed those that are hungry. He's able to open the womb of the barren. He's able to raise up those from the dead. He's able to lift the needy from the ashes. He's able to place the humble in a seat of honor among princes. He's able to guard the feet of the faithful. The Lord can reverse anything because he is above everything. That's, that's literally what the end of verse 8 would tell us today. The pillars of the earth, well, th those are the Lord's. And on them he set the world. So there comes a time in life when, when you must surrender. There comes a time where every man and woman must realize that they are not strong enough before God. So Christianity, is, it's not a crutch. Like, I don't need a crutch. I don't need a crutch in, in life. I'm not, I'm not wounded as if I need like, some religion to keep me going. No, friends, we, we don't need a crutch. You need a new heart. Ezekiel 11, verse 17, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel, and then when they have come there, will remove from all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them 
one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And as for those whose heart that goes after detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord the God, Lord God. That's the summary of Israel's story. That's the summary of Hannah's prayer. The Lord is omnipotent, and we need a heart transformation in Christ, and we need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is able and powerful enough to remove this heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. The Lord is powerful enough to destroy those who want to go after detestable things. So we serve and worship an omnipotent God who's not just able to, to reverse the course of history, but able to reverse eternity in our lives. How is the Lord able to reverse your brokenness? Let me give you the last one. Maybe you already got it, but verse three, or point three, because the Lord is omnipresent. Lord is omnipresent. I mean, the Lord, he's, he's everywhere at all times. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean the Lord is in everything. God, as if we say, like, God's in the trees, or God is in the mountains, or God is in creation. That's called pantheism, and that's called heresy. God is not in everything. God is above everything, and God is amongst everything. Simply, there's like nowhere you can go that the Lord is not present. You can't run from God. No wicked men or women will be able to uh, escape the righteous judgment of God. He cuts them off into the darkness. He breaks them to pieces. And as verse 10 reminds us, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Like not, not just one people group, um, not just one country. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and there will be no escaping the omnipresent Lord. And yet, the Lord is also present with his children in their suffering. And so, the past three weeks here, we discussed Elkanah and his family. They're traveling from Ramah to, to Shiloh to worship the Lord. But the truth is, the Lord was with them even in Ramah. And the truth is, the Lord was present with Hannah in her infertility, even back home. The truth is, they didn't leave Samuel with Eli in verse 11, and then they also left the Lord. No, the Lord was present at home. The Lord was present at the journey. The Lord was present at Shiloh. The Lord is present in your brokenness. This is Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make a bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Of course, the Lord is present when life is going really well. 
But the Lord is also present in the deepest and darkest moments of your life. The Lord is present when you feel all alone. The Lord is present even when it feels like, honestly, everyone's sick and tired of your drama and your sin. And maybe rightly so. Maybe rightly so, but the Lord's still present. The Lord is present even when you're filled with doubts about God and the Bible and, and faith. The Lord is still present. So like, we don't have to pray for the Lord to show up. We don't have to invite the Holy Spirit to the party. The Lord doesn't need an invitation to arrive and have his way in our lives. He is ever present. He's able to reverse your brokenness because he's already present in your brokenness. The Lord, he's omnipresent. 2008, um, Maria, if you've heard this story before, but Maria, she was the adopted daughter of the Christian musician uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. She was accidentally struck and killed in the driveway of their home by Maria's older brother. In a tragedy, a brokenness, I think all of us would just say that's beyond compare. And um, Stephen would, would write a song about his daughter called Cinderella that he vowed would just never could play in public again. Uh, and it wasn't until later and after processing a lot of that grief, he realized the, the motivation of playing that song. In his words, he says, if everything in our life is simply to make things better, or more comfortable in this present world, then when some unthinkable tragedy happens, we are destroyed. But if our hope is for eternity, and this life is getting us ready for that, if we can really believe it, then I can sing the song Cinderella because I have eternity to dance with my little girl. See, the story of the Bible is not just about God fixing our temporary problems. Although he is able, and he certainly does at times. Of course he's able. God reversed the barren women to sustain his covenant all throughout the Old Testament. God reversed barren Hannah to give birth to Samuel. God reversed barren Elizabeth to give birth to John the Baptist, who, has, who would announce Jesus. There, there is nothing in your life that God cannot reverse. And yet, the story of the Bible is, is so much bigger than that because God reversed history by King Jesus being born of a virgin. See, the, the true great reversal is the Lord saving his children from death little long, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh. We all carrying out the desires of the body and the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us, uh, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of your work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the great reversal found in the word. So your summary point is we worship the Lord who is able to reverse death to life. The Lord is omniscient, the Lord is omnipotent, the Lord is omnipresent. And then in verse 10, Hannah prayed before there was ever even a king in Israel. Hannah prayed a prophetic line that points us to King Jesus, where she says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So yeah, Christ the King is able to reverse the brokenness of your sin that leads to death and give you eternal life. That's the great reversal, and our God is able. If you want to talk about anything uh, in the message this morning or just uh, want someone to pray for you or respond to the word, we'd love to talk with you after the service, but let's pray and then we'll uh, sing together.